Thank you for waiting. We're now boarding all passengers on No Blackout Dates Airlines. All aboard No Blackout Dates to... Wait. Where the hell are we going? No Blackout Dates. We are Blackout Dates. Good to see you. Good to see you. How you doing? Not for nothing really and truly all day long like 7-Eleven. We really want to hear all the small things, even though everybody else in this club is jamming to Beyonce right now. We are going up in the air balloon. Even if we die in the hot air balloon, that's a pretty solid story. Nobody has ever asked me that so directly before. Who doesn't love beef and who doesn't love liberty, right? Welcome back to another episode of No Blackout Dates. I'm Evan. I'm Tim. And we've got a very special episode today. It is our 20th podcast tim 20 podcasts we've done we made it they said we couldn't do it they said we were just two kids with a dream and we'd never amount to anything look who's laughing now yeah look who's laughing 20 episodes no monetization later here we are i know we're laughing all the way to the liquor store and it's really cool because i think what people doubted is that they didn't think we'd be able to get 19 people to talk to us and tim is already crushing some was that laid back blondes laid back blonde from palisade yeah palisade brewing company right up the street from my house 20 episodes tim 20 episodes i mean it's it hasn't been that long either only three months I think it's actually four months. Okay. Well, well, in that case, what took us so long? But yeah, I mean, it's been a, it's been an interesting ride, and it's uh, you know, watch one thing that has been pretty cool is that we recently ran a Facebook ad, which is the first kind of paid advertising we've done for the show, and watching the ad was cool because we kind of put together the concept for this ad back when we first started, and all of the people that are in the ad with us were our, our first set of guests, and it was kind of cool to revisit those even though it wasn't that long ago it restoked me for the next 20 episodes yeah i mean do you know how many iconic shows never make it to 20 episodes i mean right band of brothers queen's gambit um roots every every colorado rockies playoff season (laughs) (laughs) even harry potter only squeezed out eight movies i mean come on right is this the smallest accomplishment that's ever gone to anyone's head you bet yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's cool that, uh, you know, we've been able to sit here virtually, remotely and do this podcast. It, it's really a, it's a testament to technology and uh, without which we would have been far too lazy to ever do. Absolutely. And it's a testament to a pandemic without which we would not have had the time to do it. Um, but yeah, to celebrate our 20th episode, I have a very, very special guest today. I almost couldn't get him. His uh, manager was being impossible, and the guy's a bit of a diva. But we have travel writer, musician, certified outdoor enthusiast, and self-proclaimed frugal asshole Tim Winger is my guest today. That's right. I'm here. I'm here, and I, I have a special <laughs> guest all the way from Newburyport, Massachusetts, with the best hair in Colorado now, Evan Diskin in the house. <laughs> yeah, all it takes to have the best hair in Colorado is to not get a haircut for approximately four months. That's a winner for sure. You know, and it's it's funny you say that about Colorado because it's it's true, actually. And when I was in college, I went to college in Durango and the school and the entire town was voted multiple years in a row the worst dressed town in America. And the locals took a pride in that. That's pretty funny. I can see that for a Colorado town, just being wanting to be so counterculture that they would hate to be named best dressed. I thought you were going to say that they were named the worst hair in Colorado. If you count 
percentage of the population that is white people with dreadlocks as being worse hair, yeah, that Durango very well might take that title. Well, speaking of Tim's uh, college days, the inter- the interviews today are designed to help you guys get to know us a little bit. We had gotten some listener feedback that people wanted to know more about us. You know, we dive in pretty deep with our guests, but people wanted to know where we're coming from with some of our questions and some of our answers. And we wanted to expound a little bit on some of the things that we say repeatedly on the show. And so the way this is going to work is Evan and I have each come up with a set of questions that we're going to ask each other, kind of similar to our hot takes section that we do at the end of each show. And then we also crowdsourced from you a series of questions uh, that range from pretty straightforward to downright ridiculous. And we're going to kind of work through those one by one after we're done interviewing each other. And the reason we're doing this episode is to show you exactly why we don't talk about ourselves more often. (laughs) That's right. There's a reason this is an interview podcast, because we want you to learn about other people. They're much more interesting. Well, who knows? Maybe we'll learn something new, but we're celebrating number 20. Tim's fucked up. We're ready to go. Let's get into this. Cue the music. One of the first things that I'm curious to hear from you is how how you would describe your personal brand. So the Tim Winger brand, what does that look like? I, okay, this is what I would say. My brand is a brand through the lens of somebody that is born and raised Coloradan and that grew up on 90s punk rock and snowboarding. That That is the lens through which I tell nearly every story that I tell. Your brand is Colorado. If, if you call it like, if you go to the visitor center at the Colorado gift shop, the mannequin would be Tim. That kind of leads into my, my first question that I had for you, actually, Evan, which was, do you think that people conform to the places that they live naturally? Or is this something that takes effort? Uh, and, and you can tie that into to places you've lived, be that the UK, Fort Collins, whatever it might be? Uh, It depends on, no, not naturally. I don't think so. I think it depends on how much willpower you have to change. Um, I think the natural, the natural tendency is to bring what, what you were used to, your own routines, your own customs, your own culture with you and supplant that culture with your own. And that's every time I've ever traveled abroad for an extended period and studied abroad in in Scotland, my whole experience is through the lens of, well, in America, we do it this way. Well, in America, it would be like this. And I'm constantly, it's hard for me. It's always been hard for me. And I think other people might have an easier time of this to assimilate into a new culture and sort of shed some of the expectations that I've grown used to for my own uh, experience to put Colorado into context for that. So you see an 18 year old kid come here from, you know, the West or the East coast or the Midwest, and they come here at 18. And by the time they finish college at 25, they've got long hair. They spend every weekend in the mountains and they're like these hippie type people. And they certainly were not that when they came here. And it's interesting to see how much that is. Cause I I'm somebody that never really left my home. I've moved around Colorado a lot and I've traveled a lot, but I've never lived anywhere else since I was a little kid. And so I, I've kind of like missed out on that ability to reframe what I want to be. I mean, it depends too. Cause what you're talking about is people moving for, if you're a college age, that's their formative years when they're 
trying to kind of find an identity. Whereas if they're already like in their thirties or even forties, I think they're less likely to completely change. But even my parents who moved out to Colorado from, from new England, they've taken up outdoor activities. Like I never thought I would see, you know, I never thought my parents would go kayaking or snowshoeing. And I think part of it's because that stuff is more accessible, but it's also because it's part of the culture. Like you can't literally leave your house without someone asking you, Oh, so what hike did you go on today, bud? It's like, I don't know why I just did a Canadian accent, but yeah, it's like, it's, it's, it's very much part of the, the vibe here. And I think to go back to what I was saying before, it all has to do with the, your willingness to change because I think the natural tendency is to not change. The natural tendency is to bring your past into whatever your present is. Yeah. I, I think that's true. And it's funny because I moved, you know, I grew up in the Denver area and I moved to Durango to go to college, which is all, only six hours away. But I had culture shock when I first moved away because I had never lived on my own. I had my family and friends and life that I had grown up with in Denver. And I left that and I and I had culture shock. And it's funny because the more you travel and 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 move around and get older and kind of figure out who you are, I think the less not that you don't feel culture shock, but the less culture shock completely mind fucks you. Because like when I first moved away, and I think a lot of college kids feel this way, or not not even just college kids, just young kids when they first leave home. They, they, it's just a, it's a rude awakening that there is a world beyond the bubble in which you have lived. And pr- that's particularly true for a suburban kid like myself. Like I, it's not like I, I did not grow up dealing with a lot of hardship. Yeah. And I mean, this is maybe the dumbest example ever, but when I studied abroad in junior year of college for the first time going abroad ever, I, my biggest at first moment of real culture shock was at the grocery store. I, I had never been to a grocery store that wasn't in the US and I had all my groceries. I had on the little conveyor belt and I give her my credit card, whatever. And then she just shoves the groceries at me. And I was like, wait, there's no, there's no bag. So I was like, okay, is there kind of a bag please? And she's like, oh yeah, you want a bag? Sure. And she just ta- like throws a bag in my face. And I apparently you have to bag your own groceries there. And it's such a simple, easy thing that, you know, takes like five seconds, but I had never been asked to do that at a grocery store before. I didn't know. And I was all nervous because there was people behind me. And I felt like I had to play this rapid fire game of Tetris to get all these groceries in the bag in time and not take up space. And it was like this unnecessarily traumatic experience because I didn't know that in other countries, they don't bag groceries for you at the grocery store. So yeah, it's such a stupid thing. But I want to go back quickly to... The uh, the branding question, because I was going to ask you after you answered, how would you describe my personal brand? You know, Evan, I, d- I don't know because I feel... I won't be offended no matter what you say. No, you seem to me like, you know, you're kind of the epitome of a, of a traveler because when I think of somebody from Boston, like, I think, so, I think a lot more of like Alex Boylan in The Amazing Race. Okay, like thick accent. So millionaire. I, I remind you of a uh, of a millionaire. Awesome. Sure, but like I I think your brand is I think your brand is more probably more open minded than mine because I think one fallacy of Coloradans probably is that they are among and certainly not the only people that think this, but they are certainly somebody that thinks that their way of life is is 
really good and isn't really wanting to compromise that. And I think that people that come from more diverse areas or more heavily populated areas or, uh, you know, somewhere where it's easier to get to something else are more chameleon-like. Whereas, you know, I mean, so if you're in Denver, what's the closest big city is Albuquerque, and that's like an eight-hour drive away. So you're not really getting anything other than Colorado when you're in Colorado. So as holistic and healthy and kind of outdoorsy and seemingly, you know, fairly liberal and open-minded as Colorado people are, you're still saying that there is a sense of closed-mindedness among the people that live here. Because to me, the stereotypical Coloradan is quite progressive. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know if it's closed-mindedness. I think it's more ignorance. I think it's Thinks more... their way of life is the way that all life should be. Yeah. And I certainly, like, maybe not outwardly, but I will admit that I'm guilty of that at times where, where like, you know, I don't know, like if I'm traveling somewhere, not outside the U.S., but if, if particularly when I'm traveling in the U.S. and particularly when I'm traveling around Colorado, I I expect, you know, I expect to be able to have the conversations that I expect to be able to have. And it's it's what kind of conversations? Well, like you're saying, like you walk out the door and people are like, what hike did you do today? Or, 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 uh, you know, what do you, what, what do you think about this? What, what, you know, what are the avalanche conditions up in the mountains right now? How about them Broncos, bud? How about them Broncos? Yeah. Like <laughs> Colorado it's... accent is now Canadian for me. That's it. Based on absolutely nothing, but I mean, does Colorado have an accent? I feel like you're kindred spirits. I feel like Coloradans and Canadians are kindred spirits in terms of like their general outlook outdoorsiness there's a certain sense of judgment with canadians and with coloradans as you just said i don't know i just i feel like how would we describe that would because i would kind of describe it as like a humble judge like a humble judge you know like i'm super friendly and super nice but i also i also kind of i also kind of like judge you if you're not yeah yeah no no I, i get it i mean the opposite would be an aggressive, arrogant judge. Like, what's the what's the opposite? Well, it it so, so the thing is, you know, so you take somebody that's from the East Coast that lives in a much more aggressive environment. Coloradans and Canadians also are very passive aggressive in that way. Like, they're with their with their judgments, they're passive aggressive about it. They're not in your face about it, and they're not going to call you out on it until you say something about it first, then they'll say it. Well, the classic example of this is the difference between going to a retail store in Colorado versus someplace like New York or Boston. If you go to Colorado, like an ice cream shop, and the guy's like, hey, how are you doing, bud? I'm like, ah, good, good, how are you? He's like, good. What'd you do today? And I'm just like, oh, fuck, what did I do today? What did I do today? Uh, uh, I went for uh, a walk. I didn't go for a walk, but you always have to say that to people in Colorado or they think you're weird. So it's a beautiful day. Like, yeah, good day for a walk, bud. Uh, I went for a hike myself, like just the other day. It's like, oh, beautiful weather, beautiful weather. I'm like, okay, man. Like, I just want, guys, please just have an ice cream. He's like, yeah. So, wow, what, any any plans for the rest of the day? That's like, does this does this guy want to hang out? Like, what's his what's his deal? Like, what's going on? They're just friendly. They're just genuinely. And I don't even think it's a. It's not. It's not even a fakeness really about it. It's just a genuine. Like he cares about my day, and I don't know why, but. I couldn't care less about his day, but if you go to New York, go to an ice cream parlor, like, what do you want? Uh, uh, can I, uh, can I, can I sample that like gelato? Like, 
Uh, okay, fine, sure, here you go. You know what you want yet? Like, you're going to get out of here so I can go back on my phone, please? Like, and pretend like I'm working? It's just this whole different culture of service and, and friendliness that's, and I think both are equally genuine in a way, but I, I don't know. I almost sort of prefer the more direct, like, get in, get out, do your business and, and, and leave. People in the West are not very straightforward about that kind of stuff. I think that's probably a, a personality flaw. I find myself being guilty of it. And I'll circle this back to like when you just grow up somewhere and that's that's what you know. You're not your passive aggression? <laughs> not not passive aggression, but my non-confrontationalness that I, you know, I, I know in my head when I'm being that way, but I can't not do it. Like I can't not do the Colorado thing and just be nice. Like when I when and and then you bubble up and then I explode. Like every once in a while, I'm a total dick. And then for six months, I'm not. And then it bubbles up, you know, again. It's 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 not always the best thing to do to just bottle up your feelings. Do we need a whole episode where you where we just get as an outlet for you to air out all of your grievances to just a very therapeutic Tim asshole sesh. Just Tim can air out everything that's pissing him off. He can scream. You can be a dick to the... We'll have a guest on that we actually have no respect for and that we hate. And you'll just scream at them the whole time. And you'll, you, we won't let them talk. We'll interrupt them the whole time. And Tim will just like shout at them. Yeah, maybe that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah that'll be episode 21. <laughs> so whoever whoever's on next, uh, maybe, maybe don't respond to my email. Um, well, speaking of personal brands... Also, you used to be a musician, still are a musician, but uh, had been in the band Odie Paste, huge ska band in the Denver area, massive following. Tell me the truth, though. Are you okay having not made it as a musician? So, yeah, that I mean, that's an interesting thing. So now, now, yeah, it's it, yes. And I'll, I'll tell you why. So being in a band and driving around in a Ford Econa line and staying at rock clubs until two in the morning all the time, like it's a beautiful thing to do when you're in your twenties. It's really, really hard the older you get and really less appealing. Nope, and Nope. And nope. I don't want to hear that, Tim. I don't want to hear about this. I don't like it. It's just true. It's just true. But, but I mean, the thing is, is like being in a band also kind of rephrases what you think about making it because when we started yeah we thought we were going to be like the next thing we thought we were going to be able to tour for a living and we were going to put out an album every two years and that was going to be how we progressed through life as professional musicians and that definitely didn't work out but at the same time we did a lot of stuff that i will never regret doing and that I dreamed about doing when I was like the 15 year old kid at a punk show, staring at the guys up on the stage, wanting to do that. Like I, I got to experience that. You got enough of a taste, enough of a taste of the life to kind of quench your thirst for it. That's exactly correct. And I, I got enough of a taste of it, honestly, to realize that there's a lot of stuff that I don't really like about it. Uh, and, and going back to like just the years passing, like there's a lot of stuff that I, I loved when I was 23 that I don't anymore. Uh, and there's a lot of stuff that I thought was right when I was 23 that now I would never want to be like what 
just the whole, you know, I, I have no desire to be up on stage swearing and visibly drinking and promoting this kind of a lifestyle. I, it's just not, not what I want to do anymore. Uh, I hate to break it to you. I've seen you visibly drinking, Tim. I'm seeing it right now. You're doing it. His Tim is consuming alcohol in front of an audience of God knows how many people. So that's right. That, but that's right. But I'm on beer number one, and, and rather than you know however many we would drink before we went on stage 15 years ago. Yeah, it's not like you're getting a COVID test. When Tim gets his COVID tests, <laughs> he's 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 on an absolute bender. So yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I don't know. It's funny. Like that. That's an interesting question because nobody has ever asked me that so directly before. Like people will kind of insinuate like when you're especially when you're in a band and when you're like the band that's opening for the big bands people are like so what is like what's gonna happen here are you guys like stoked to do this or <laughs> you know are you gonna like go on tour with these guys like it, it it's it's such a misunderstood way of life even by the people that are fans of it if you're in a if you're in a band and you're traveling around and you're getting up on stage and you're playing these songs when you're 23 three years old okay maybe you have a song that's a hit and it gets on the radio and people know it and they sing with you and it's a great beautiful thing the thing is that 10 or 15 years later nothing changes you're still driving around in a van staying up until three in the morning playing the same song that you probably hate now because you've played it so many times and when you wrote it you were a completely different person and the people that are watching you perform the song and that appreciate it appreciated 23 year old you not 36 year old you so the person that you are now is something that they never want to see they don't want to see you married with a kid and uh, and other opinions about the stuff that you wrote when you were young yeah, that's a really interesting way of putting it. I, I always think that of like Blink-182 singing What's My Age Again? And they're like in their 40s. And I always think like, are they sick of this goddamn song already? Like talking about being 23. The, and and the, other, the thing about, you know, Odie Pace is it's not like we ever made a conscious decision to stop doing it. We all just kind of got older and have different things going on in our lives. Like everybody's married Two of the guys have kids. Like it's just not that easy to get in a van anymore. And that, I mean, this is maybe an immature take of mine, but that is like you hear about that all the time. About like I, you know, people do things that they they really enjoy, their passions, and they're in their twenties or when they're young. And then as you get older and you get married and you have kids and all these things, they it all just falls by the wayside. And I understand that those things are replaced by other really special things like, you know, marriages and kids. But it's just always so depressing to me to hear stories like that and it's it's always the same story it's like i oh yeah i used to be really and i can't think of any other examples besides music right now for some reason but like yeah like i used to like really enjoy doing this and then i got married and then i had my kid and i just don't have time anymore or even travel it's like yeah i used to travel all the time or like i used to go out all the time or i used to like do stand up or i used to play in a band and then it's like yeah i just don't have time i have to be more stable it's like and of course like i understand familial responsibility which is foremost if you have a family you can't just be like a deadbeat on the road all the time but there's just always been something like sad about it to me that it always seems like people let their passions slip away from them when these other things come along in life i think the uh, the the goal isn't one or the other it's 
a balance of some kind, but I don't think human beings in general are very good at balance. I think people are go all in on one thing or another thing. They're not very good at, at balancing two things at once. I agree. I think that's absolutely correct. And the interesting thing about, you know, musicians or comedians or whatever it is that you might do as a, as a, a passion project when you're young with the hopes of turning into a career. It comes a time where it's really cool to do something and then you wake up one day and all of a sudden you're the loser that never moved on. Honestly, I worry about that with travel as well. And we talked about this with Todd, especially. To me, travel is a lifestyle that is geared towards younger people. So do you think you'll always work in travel journalism or do you think that if you have, you know, end up having kids or you'll get a little older, you'll end up pivoting at some point to something else. Yeah, I don't I don't know. That's an interesting question because I you know, I think that it's an interesting field that we're in because we're actually making a living doing this, you know. And so when you when you're making a living doing something, it's instantly a lot more sustainable than doing something like playing in a punk band that on its best day is paying its own way. I do not see my passion for promoting the benefits of travel and of experiencing other cultures and of of telling the stories that need to be told. I don't see that ever going away, really, because I, I think it's a an inval- I think it's an invaluable thing that can't be replaced. I mean, it's I don't think traveling is perceived the same way as like being in a punk band when you're 50. But I mean, I'll look at some of these guys on these press trips and think would I still want to be doing this when I'm that age? Like, would I be 50 and be every few weeks just like flying away from my family and going to an island to hang out with a bunch of 20-something photographers who all want to go out and drink and I'm going to go to bed at like 10.30? Like, is that really what I want my job to be? Yeah, no, I I don't want to be a 50-year-old guy going on the same you know, story assignments that I'm doing now. I, I don't want to do that. I would want to be beyond that. But uh, I, I and I think the time will come when that happens. I, if you continue to work hard and, and, you know, be honest in what you do. Kind of on that note, Evan, uh, lead into my next um, my next question for you. Is it legit to call somebody comrade? <laughs> Where is this question coming from? Uh, like as a like like in a in a 1984 sense or what? Well, like so, uh, yeah. We've been my wife and I have been watching the Americans. Uh, we've been I don't you know, know it's that been is. kind of like our night. It's a, it's a. I think it's from 2013 or so, 2015. But it's a show about Russian spies, USSR spies okay. that embedded themselves as American citizens during the early years of the Reagan administration. I don't know if legit is the word. I think it's I think it's inseparable from its communist overtones so i think it'd be pretty tough to pull that off without potentially uh striking the wrong note i'm just i'm asking because i you hear that in movies and you hear it you know now and then people kind of casually toss the term around and i'm always like is that cool like i don't think i've ever heard anyone say that in real life ever and i don't can't remember a movie where someone's just casually called someone a comrade either like Use it in a sentence for me. All right, bro. I'll see you later. All right. All right, comrade. I'll see you later. So it's a replacement. It's a, it's, it's a synonym for bro is what you're saying. Yeah. 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 Okay. I Yeah. I can't see that catching on. I'm sorry, Tim. I can tell you're into this. This is your new thing. But I, 
I don't know if I'm into it. You woke up on January 1st, 2021. Your wife said, what are your New Year's resolutions, Tim? And you said, I'm going to make Comrade happen. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to start. I, that would be pretty funny, though, if we had like a video segment to this to then like put one hot take into practice for like the following week and then show the video. So it's like if if the if the the goal for me was to use Comrade in everyday life and like film it and see how people react. And like I went like that, I went golfing and to just be like, like greetings, comrade. Like I want like a like a, a medium bucket of uh, range balls, please. Yeah, and did comrade? Yeah, yeah, comrade. Well, um, if that's all the questions you have for me, then I'm gonna thank Tim Winger for coming on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks Evan Diskin for coming on as uh, as the hot seat guest. Yeah, and we're gonna move right now into our next segment where we solicited questions from you guys. Yeah, I mean, I say we just worked through the list. It looks like we've got about 20 questions total. I, I don't know if we'll get to all of them, but we'll just alternate. Holy shit, that's a lot of questions. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we can save some for, the, we can save some for episode 40 for six-pack session number two. First question from a listener is, I always clean my hotel room when I travel, but I never clean my own room, my own room at home. Why is this? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would be inclined to say that it's uh, a fear of being judged, right? Because when it's your own room, you're in your own space. Uh, and the only person that can hate on you for it not being clean is yourself. So, But when you're in a hotel room, you know that you're literally putting somebody else out of pain by having to clean up your mess. Which is so funny because it's it's if at you're at home you have to live with your mess and you know that you have to live with it. And I I've, I'm not like this, but I travel with people that are definitely like this. And yeah, people will be like, no, we have to make the bed and like make sure that you know the, the curtains are the same way that they we, that we found them and make sure that and, the, and wipe down the bathroom stand. I'm like, you don't do this in your own house. The fact that you're more worried about somebody else having to clean up your mess on the road than than you at home. Maybe that makes you a good person. Maybe you should look at it that way. You should you should be stoked on yourself right now. I think anyone that's worked in hospitality is much more conscious of being a good hotel guest than people who haven't because they know what goes into cleaning rooms and stuff. But yeah, 100% makes you a better person than most people out there. So Okay. Well, that was a good one. That, that was a good, unique take because I, I've never really thought about uh, hotel cleanliness that way. So this is the first question I got from a listener via Instagram. What is something you've always wanted to do traveling but have been too embarrassed to try? This person's fishing for your perverse sexual exploits, Tim. Potentially. They want to say, they want you to reply back like, really, really wanted that threesome with those two Russian prostitutes, but just never got the courage to try it. Uh, something you want to, something I've always wanted to try? Uh I don't know. I, I've never, I'm not like a huge adrenaline guy, like skydiving or anything. Um, but I have tried two times to go hot air ballooning abroad and have failed both times. So hot air ballooning has to be the answer. Hot air balloons to me are a thing that are, that I would much rather do. People are like, oh, why don't you just do it in New Hampshire? Like there's hot air ballooning in New Hampshire, just do there. I'm like, no, no, no. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an international trip thing. The magic of it lies in it being in a foreign country so i tried i don't think i've told this on the podcast before but i tried the first time in bulgaria got up at 6 a.m was doing a road trip with my friend and went out to this field in the middle of nowhere to, to for our hot air balloon appointment 
there was a couple ahead of us and they, they went up, they went out, we watched them, had a nice little, you know, little journey came down, we get in the basket and the guy's like, ah, mm, wind shifted just now. It's too dangerous. It'll take us too close to that mountain over there. Didn't this happen to you twice? I feel like you, I feel like you told me this. Yeah. Yes. That was me two times. So that happened. We had, we had chained, we, our whole itinerary was based around this trip. So we had like gone to a town this middle of nowhere Bulgarian town for the night before so we could be near this field. So the entire last three days of our trip was geared for this hot air balloon experience, which then got canceled at 6.30 in the morning. So that was that happened. Then like two years later, same friend, uh, we're in Lithuania. And this was a last minute thing. We're in, uh, in Vilnius, the capital of Lithuania. And we're like, should we try hot air ballooning again? You're like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. So we, we look up like places that do hot air ballooning. We find one. We book one for the following evening because we're like, you know what? We're not getting up at 6 a.m. again for this. So the following evening, uh, it looks like it's a go. We all we, we, we uh, get in this little sort of van that's going to take us to a field outside the city. So we all get into this van, go to the field. Everyone, it's There's like six of us this time. So there's like six of us all in this basket. And we were in the basket. The, the sky this time is like darkening. It, it, it's pretty windy. It like seems a little sketchy, but we're like, no, we can't have this happen again. This isn't happening again. We are going up in the air balloon. Even if we die in the hot air balloon, that's a pretty solid story. So whatever. And the guys are like on their little ham radio thing. that are walkie talkies, like all nervous talking in Lithuanian. And we're like, is this, is this going to happen? We get off the ground. The hot air balloon lifts off the ground maybe five feet and then it just blows over oh my god it just like tips over everyone spills out of it <laughs> and the guy's like okay yeah we're not doing this we're not going up and i'm like now you tell us like of course we were disappointed to not go up but like that's an instance where i mean the first time it was clear skies everything looked fine this time like come on like you could tell from at least an hour in advance that the weather was not going to be good these guys are supposed to be pros and so we like spill out of this this basket. They're like, "Yeah, we're probably not going to do this." We're like, "Yeah, like no shit, we're not doing this." I think the one thing I've I've always wanted to do traveling is a long trekking journey. You should do the uh, the Camino. Yeah, and the Camino is the type of trail where there's a lot of other people on it, so you will meet people and have interesting experiences on it. It's not like you're trekking in the high country of the Himalayas where it's, you know, you're, it's just you and your crew for days on end. Oh yeah. Absolute meat market. It's basically bachelor in paradise in Spain. <laughs> Pilgrimage in paradise. What a show, what a show that would be. Pilgrimage in paradise. Definitely wouldn't defend anybody. Um, all right. Well, next question. Indonesia shouldn't be visited via plane because they have a horrible track record with safety. This is interesting. I felt the same way when I hear about airlines that go like the Malaysia Airlines thing, about airlines that go down that are from you know Asia or Africa or other countries that we consider to be to have poor infrastructure or whatever that are like less safe. You could you could see a ton of people being like, "I'm not flying Malaysia Airlines after that Malaysia airline incident," or what is it? I think it was Thai Thai Lion. But think about the Boeing seven thirty seven Max. Right, the Boeing has two crashes. How many articles have you written about the Boeing seven thirty? I've written like a thousand, like a li- no, no less than like eighty-seven articles on this. Uh, it's all over the news. 
yet I guarantee you no Americans are thinking, well, I'm not going to like take my trip to Ohio this year because the, because it might be on a Boeing. I mean, of course there's some people that would, but I, I just think it's a, it's a domestic airline with, with a name, with a name we trust Boeing. I think we're more willing to take that risk with a domestic familiar first world country rather than like, Oh, Indonesia, Oh, Malaysia, like who knows what goes on over there. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's true. And I think it's, it's just not, it's not black and white like that. Like certainly Indonesia's airline safety standards could be improved, but on the big picture side of things, you've got to look at the percent. Okay. Like what, so, so an air, an airplane goes down. That's one, you know, thousandth of 1% of the total travelers that go on. Whereas if you're driving on a scooter through Jakarta, your odds of dying are so much higher than getting on an an airplane at the airport there. You know, I mean, I was in Hanoi for less than a week and we literally were on a bus watching a moped guy get hit and die. That's like saying, the grocery store shouldn't be visited via car because cars have a worse track record than planes. Yeah. And, and another part of it, and you touched on this before is like, you know, the idea of thinking of, Oh, some foreign country far away doesn't have the safety standards or infrastructure to safely operate their airlines. Well, that's not true because any international airport has to deal with international safety protocol and the airlines that are going to come there are not going to come there if they're not following that protocol. It really is a cultural, almost nationalistic way of thinking about it because we have plenty of safety issues here at home that have been highly publicized. And those that these same people that wouldn't want to take a Thai Lion flight would a hundred percent without thinking take a Boeing flight without even looking to see which which model it is. It's the separation of the other, the demonization of the other. And it's not conscious, but it's that's where I think it comes from. All right, next question. This is another Instagram uh, response. When will Canada be dumb enough to allow American tourists back into the country? This is an extension of what they've wanted to do for literally like 40 years, is come up with a reason to ban Americans from coming into their country. There's an element of Canadian culture that is built upon, and the Canadian identity that's built upon jabbing the U.S. and kind of sticking it to the U.S. and seizing on any issue or any point of weakness that can prove that they handle things better than the US, which right now is just an open season for them. They can do it in their sleep. I love Canada. I, you know, I've gone there on many, many, many press trips and and other trips, and I, I love Canada. I would move there. But I, I I do think that they they have, and probably rightfully so, due to due to their status, but like th- there is a bit of Canada that's like we are the big brother bully country and they are like the, Oh, you know, Hey, like it's actually better up here kind of country. Um, and, and I, a lot of that's justified. Some of it's not that bit of Canada is everything West of Quebec. Yeah. I think Quebec, Quebec to me is, I love it. I think it's an extension of new England. My ideal country to live in would be new. Like a, if new England seceded from the United States and merged with Quebec, and we were all just one happy little country together. That's my ideal country. You get you get the progressive uh, New England mindset with the European aesthetic of Montreal and Quebec City. It's just, I mean, 
be unreal. Be awesome. Yeah, I mean, they are both amazing cities. I, I love the Quebec culture. And uh, Canada at large, to me, is just one of those places that I, I will admit that I think Canada has internationalized itself in a way that America does not. And I say that in a way that means the view of international travel, I think, is more in line in Canada with with Europe and Australia, where people value taking a gap year, people value studying abroad, they value foreign input more so than America does. Yeah, no, I agree completely. And I think that's, that's a, you know, an admirable thing that we need to, I think that's probably arguably the number one thing that's wrong with this country is this idea. I mean, I know Trump's America first thing didn't have to do with travel, but it's this America first idea that nothing, nothing matters except for what happens in the U S like the globalization is bad. Um, putting the needs of other countries at the forefront of our minds or policy is bad. Um, somehow there is, you cannot help your own citizens and help the citizens of other countries or be a force for global good and a force for domestic good at the same time. That's false. You have a responsibility to be aware and be cognizant of what's happening in other countries. And I think that lack of awareness is so detrimental to people's ability to kind of have a global understanding in the U.S. and to critical, critically think about global issues. I agree. I agree for the most part. Um, I, I think that there are so many American ideals that I love and, and really feel like I embody, like the innovation and the, and the entrepreneurial spirit and the get up and go and do it and make it happen for yourself kind of mentality. The one thing I really don't agree with and have have long not agreed with uh, is the America first approach. Uh, but historically, I think America has had periods of time where it has very much embraced uh, a, a global outlook and a global for the good mentality. And I really, really hope that we're moving back towards that now. Well, my next hot take that was submitted on Instagram is Asking a DJ for a request is the most cringy move ever. Who are your friends? Like, who are sending just these statements? <laughs> I kind of like it. It's uh, just this hard, uncompromising period and statement. We're done. I so I, I have a question, and I'll I'll preface that by saying, sure, I generally may agree with this. Are they talking about a DJ at a nightclub or like a DJ at a wedding? Probably. DJ at a nightclub is where this is coming from. Because, yeah, that is kind of douchey, I would think, to like be like, yeah, you see my crew over there? We really want to hear all the small things, even though everybody else in this club is jamming to Beyonce right now, you know? Yeah, I I, I have one funny story on this. I was in uh, Barcelona with my friend from Newburyport, and he, we were at this salsa uh, salsa nightclub. They were like playing like, um, there was a DJ, but they were playing salsa and like Latin music and Latin pop. And Kygo was really big then. It was 2016. So Kygo was huge. You couldn't go anywhere, especially in Europe. You couldn't go anywhere without hearing Firestone. And my buddy goes up to the DJ and is requesting Kygo. Like he's like, wants him to play Firestone. And I was like, dude, you don't have to do this. Like, he's not going to play. It's a Latin night. Like, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a salsa club. Like, it's not, they're not going to play Tropical House. <laughs> and he's like, no, 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 dude, it's fine. I'll, I'll go. I'll, he'll, he'll, I'm sure he'll play it. Everyone loves Kygo. And he goes up and I can just see their 
body like gesticulations and like my friend is just like waving his arms around and, my, and the dj is shaking his head and i'm just sitting there so embarrassed like of course like we're the two white american dudes who come into the spanish salsa club requesting kaigo requesting the norwegian dj music i feel like every time i've been in a situation where i'm observing somebody go to request a song from the dj when the dj hasn't specifically solicited the input i feel for the dj and i also feel for the people that are like getting down on the dance floor you know also if you're a guy you have next to no chance of getting a song played for you unless you tip them like 20 bucks maybe if you're a girl i'd say your chances are maybe 40 to 50 percent if you're a guy your chances are 13 percent at best yeah okay so next listener question and this one came to us via email um and shout out to Craig for emailing us. This is the third time he's emailed us questions. So cheers to you. He says, airports give me anxiety sometimes. Do you have any advice for managing stress at an airport or any airport horror stories? My only real airport horror story was in Hong Kong. Uh, and this was when I was, I, was in, I was contacting you in the moment, Evan. What happened to me was... I was trying to not take the flight that I had booked and I was trying to exit the airport once I was already in the airport and they would not let me out of the airport because there are no exits to the Hong Kong airport. And this is because all flights in and out of Hong Kong are international. So I had like a two hour panic attack where I was drinking beer at like seven in the morning at this bar called Beef and Liberty in the Hong Kong airport. Well, I tried to figure out how I was going to get out of the airport. I finally was able to talk to a guest service representative not affiliated with an airline who told me I needed to go to my airline, uh, cancel my flight, phys like physically tell them I'm not boarding this flight, and then they could escort me out of the airport, which they did after a really, really awkward conversation about why I wasn't going to board the flight that I had booked. So that was a horror story, and generally... I don't tend to get anxiety with airports, but my advice for people in airports and what I tend to do is show up early, get through everything that you need to do, and then settle down uh, you know, with a coffee or a beer or your laptop or whatever it is so that you can just kind of relax before you actually have to get on the plane. I will say it took us 20 episodes to, to finally get to the Tim being escorted out of the Hong Kong airport story. I know. We teased it in our, in our trailer, I think, in October but you haven't told the story yet. So you finally heard it. Big takeaway from that story too. Beef and Liberty. Beef and Liberty. That was the name. It was an American style restaurant. Yeah. It couldn't have been more American. I've never heard a more American name in my life. And I love it. Beef and Liberty. It was right next to the counter of the airline where I was dealing with all of my nonsense. So yeah, I went and had a beer at Beef and Liberty I went down and finally was able to cancel my flight. I went back to Beef and Liberty and had another beer. That's like the name someone would come up with who has never been to the United States, but who is trying to create an American style restaurant based on some American cartoon they saw when they were like a kid. And someone asked them, what two words embody America for you? And the guy remembers that cartoon and says, beef and liberty and that's the name he slaps on his restaurant 
Yeah. That's genius. Who doesn't love beef and who doesn't love liberty, right? Yeah. Those two words actually perfectly embody your whole experience. You kind of had beef with the whole situation, trying to stay in Hong Kong and then having an issue getting out of the airport. And then ultimately, liberty, freedom, getting let out. I got liberty in the end. I was escorted through the employees area of the airport and uh, let out where I was able to take the train into the city. So yeah, I, I ended up getting my liberty. Love it. All right. Um, this one, kind of a big question, but we'll do our best to be succinct. What are some of the biggest life lessons you've learned on your travels? Travel has taught me that we're all more alike than we like to admit a lot of the times. And, you know, I, I value, it's taught me to really value progress when it comes to uh, bringing societies together and developing a mutual respect for people across the world. And I, I, I extend that to mean uh, economic respect as well as, as personal respect. So I can encapsulate my answer to this question in one brief story, which is when I was in Bulgaria like four years ago uh, with the same friend from the Hot Air Balloon story, actually. Uh, it was our first night there. We get in at like 10 p.m. We're super tired. I'm mindlessly kind of swiping on Tinder. We're like about to go to sleep. And we had a, I had a matching with someone who says she's going out in Sofia that night, which is the capital. And our hotel is an airport hotel, kind of far from the city. And she offers to pick us up and drive us in. Now, our conception of Eastern Europe, having never been there before, is that it's full of sketchy people looking to scam you. And here, our first night in, this girl is volunteering to pick us up, two total strangers, after chatting for 30 minutes. If you know Tinder, you know this does not happen. So we're kind of sketched out, but our sense of adventure wins out and she picks us up then she tells us that we have to pick up her other friend first this guy who lives in like another neighborhood and this is the point where we're like silently looking at each other like oh my god this is it this is when she drives us to her drug dealer boyfriend's house and he's a just this massive mafia-esque thug who beats the shit out of us takes our money passports that's it we're done and we're literally just like sitting there kind of terrified for no reason at all, as we drive in the dark to this neighborhood, this neighborhood is the sketchiest neighborhood you could possibly imagine. It was this rundown apartment building across from an abandoned playground. It looked like it hadn't been touched in decades. Um, there's like fighting couples you can hear like upstairs in the rooms. So we're sitting here waiting for a friend. We're like, oh my God, this guy's going to be huge, you know, muscle bound, thuggish dude. It's going to kill us. And the guy that opens the door is the, the most probably flamboyantly gay guy I've ever met in my life. Super nice, super friendly. Um, we all drive into the city afterwards, have a great time. Uh, just a fun night, like probably one of my favorite nights of that whole trip. And the whole night afterwards, me and my friend were just thinking like, how dumb were we for assuming that this guy was going to be a, 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 this criminal based on what we thought we knew about Eastern Europe? Turns out most docile, nicest guy in the world. We were just being so ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, it, a place that, that proved that same thing to me is Colombia. Um, like Colombia obviously has, has been through a lot and, and certainly it's a place where uh, one should be conscious of what's happening. But everyone I met in Colombia was incredible uh, in both in Bogota and Medellin. Um, the food is amazing. 
the bars are fun that you know it's i don't know it's a it's honestly like medellin is like a dream destination for expats and remote workers it's it's really got everything you could need it's a great city you know other than people you know trying to sell me drugs on the sidewalk which happens in any city i've ever been to anywhere in the world which is just good customer service right right. i did not experience you know I, i i did not feel sketched out I did not feel any less safe than I do walking through the centers of American cities. All right. Well, we'll do, uh, we'll do one more and then we'll, we'll close it out and we'll, we'll do another six pack session here down the line. So this one, it's been said that some people travel to find what's missing in their life. Do you think this statement is true? Not in the sense that I think someone has to be a traveler is someone who's sad and has this big gaping hole in their life and they're trying to travel to distract themselves from it or to somehow fill artificially fill a hole emotionally. I think everyone is missing something experience a different culture to meet different people to um, listen to uh, different kinds of music to eat different food all of those things that you can't experience at home are holes of some kind, whether it's conscious or not. I think you're traveling because you want to introduce yourself to something that you're not exposed to back home. Yeah. I think travel is in a way admitting that you don't have everything in your life. And there are a lot of things and perspectives and experiences that you need to seek out. However, I do think it's true to say that there are a lot of people probably that do the like, oh, I need to reset my life or I'm having this experience where I'm not happy and I need to quit and then I'm going to travel to to find myself. And I think it's it's certainly possible to find yourself while you're traveling. I mean, I've had a lot of life, quote unquote, life-changing experiences while I'm traveling. But I think traveling is itself not an escape and not a way to find pure happiness because at some point you're going to have to go home and you're never not who you were uh, before you're still from the same place and have had the same experiences. So travel is not a way to forget about your past, but it can be a way to brighten your future. That's a, you should trademark that quote, Tim being rest, admitting to being restless and admitting to being bored and unfulfilled is a tough thing for a lot of people. I think a lot of people fool themselves into thinking that they're happy doing what they're doing and with their routine. When you're able to admit to yourself that, another country or another part of this country um, or another culture can actually teach you something or give you something that you're is missing from your life. It almost requires a degree of humility, I think, to admit that someplace else can offer you something that you can't get at home. You don't want to encounter things that are going to prove wrong things that you've thought your whole life. Uh, and, and I think travel is inherently going to force those things uh, in front of your eyes, whether or not you want to see them. Um, But it certainly is not in itself a replacement for being unhappy. You have to find that happiness yourself. It sounds like we might be judging people who don't travel, and that's not the intention at all. I hate people that do that. It's really just to say that travel won't fill any real emotional holes in your life. What it will do, though, is give you a different perspective, help you connect with people you otherwise would never have connected with, um, and just grow beyond the borders of your comfort zone. Yeah, I agree. But I, I think that kind of summarizes up the uh, point we're trying to make in so many words here. 
So thank you to everybody who submitted a question. It was really cool to get some feedback, and we hope you got to know us a little better with this one. I think this is something we're probably going to do every 20 episodes or so going forward. Yeah, no, this has been great. And now I get now I actually uh, learned a little bit about my co-host. I, the guy was a complete mystery to me before, and now I actually feel like I know Tim a little better. Hopefully you guys feel like you got a little bit of insight into why we don't talk about ourselves too often. <laughs> right, right, right. Again, uh, we have we have guests with far more interesting lives than ourselves come on to, to share their stories. And uh, the thing is, is it, once we're able to get back to, to traveling more regularly and, and to moving more freely once the vaccines are distributed around the world, uh, I think that this podcast, these last 20 episodes have, have uh, helped me to want to approach that in a little more mindful of a manner and, and appreciate it more. And just helps us stay sane and hopefully helps everyone else stay sane during this uh, period when no one can leave their house pretty much. But yeah, yeah it's been a hell of a 20th episode. It's been a hell of a ride thus far and can't wait for the next 20. All right. Well, we'll uh, see you guys next week. We've got a very special guest bringing back the guest segments of the show next week. In the meantime, head to Apple, subscribe, leave us a five-star review and uh, shoot us an email at noblackoutfacepod at gmail.com. Let us know what you thought. We've got questions for our next episode or for a guest. Maybe we'll uh, pop some random questions in here and there for this. So thank you so much and we will see you next time. Uh, he's Evan. And he's Tim. All right. We'll see you next week.